realize <laughs> that we can't we can't trust the government, we can't trust leaders, right? And we got to question everything. We don't have to question this. Amen. Amen. The way the good old accurate and trustworthy church history. Let us start reading from Acts 22, starting in verse 22. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his hands, and commanded the chief priest and all their counsel to appear, and brought Paul down, and set him before them. Let us pray. Father, Again, Lord, we thank you so much for your great salvation. We thank you. We thank you that you've given us of your spirit. And we thank you for your word. Father, now be with the teacher, the preacher, as he teaches us your truth, Lord. And Lord, give us ears to hear that we may be built up and encouraged and taught through it. Lord, may you be glorified through the teaching of your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, um, brethren, it's been a long winter, amen? It's been a long winter, and it's been kind of an odd kind of thing, hasn't it? with um, just missing so many uh, fellowships and so many Bible studies together. It's such a, a, a glorious thing, amen, to be gathered together to have God's word again. And as Howard said, so, uh, so grateful. Sickness, amen, just sickness. It has been a, just a wild and just a crazy winter. So I'm thankful the Lord and his graciousness to us this morning and once again has brought us together um, to fellowship together, to read his word together, to pray together. And do those graces, amen, that we find in Acts chapter 2 for sure. And so this morning we're going to be blessed uh, after the sermon, after the Lord's table, to uh, participate in uh, that, uh, the other institution, if you will, the other glorious grace that has been uh, instituted by Christ himself and continues on until he comes again. And that is an adult baptism, amen, in water, which is really going to be, again, a glorious thing for us to participate in this morning. So I'm thankful the Lord again has brought us together and so grateful that we're all here this morning. And we come again, brethren, to uh, our ongoing uh, study in the book of Acts. 
where last time we were together, we found out that Paul has just faithfully um, been faithfully, uh, if you will, laying out his testimony concerning the Lord's mighty monergistic work in which he unequivocally says that his regeneration, as he's standing there giving his testimony about what Christ has done, that his regeneration, his birth from above is indeed and was due exclusively to the person of Christ. Remember that this is always the center of Paul's preaching, his attention, the things that Christ has done for him. And remember that, who, who if you will, first loved him, who first sought him out, who first came to him. Again, we see the action of God, the Lord, the Son, the, the God, the Son, and these actions that the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed sought him out. Who radically changed him. And again, brother, and we saw this, that salvation, when one is truly saved, that is not an act of men. This is a radical thing that only the Spirit of God can do to a man, to change their mind, to change their heart, to cause repentance to come into their minds, changing of the mind concerning who Christ is. And he's standing there giving this testimony from, you know, he was a lost religious Hebrew of Hebrew. He was one who relied heavily upon all of his works, amen, all of the things. Remember, he was, according to the law, perfect. This is who he was. And the Lord Jesus came, if you will, and radically changed him from an all-consuming enemy of God into a new creation. And again, brethren, as we give our testimony, this is something we must tell people, amen? This is something that no one can take away from us, brother. Now, some of us have been radically changed from a life of sin way more dramatic than others. But the reality of it is, you were still an enemy of God. We were still in the same place. And we can still give those testimonies and no one, brethren can take that from us. Amen? This is something that, that is lifelong in this thing that God has done. He changed Paul into a new creation, into a lover of God, into a preacher of God. Think of that for a moment as we consider our text. So Paul, in his defense, in his apologia, furnished unto his fellow countrymen, the men, brethren, and fathers, you remember, a glorious essay, a, an essay, if you will, of all of his Jewish credentials before he was saved. You remember this as we look at this. And now it's, inter it's interesting as we consider this. And his fellow countrymen were listening intently. They were listening to Paul. He was a Hebrew. He was all of these things. They were listening so intently. In fact, the Bible told us that it was complete silence when they were listening until they heard one word. Brother, I want you to notice in verse number 21, the word that sets all of our texts into motion. One word. And we notice that it was Christ who was quoting. Paul's just simply quoting what Christ said. Look there at verse number 21. See if you notice the word that sets all of our texts into motion. The things that, again, are reared and riled up there. Look at verse number 21. Paul's simply quoting, again, his testimony. He says, and he said unto me, Depart. Now this is him quoting Christ. I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. One word, brother, and that's all it took. They were listening silently and intently until Paul says, the Lord Jesus is sending me off to the Gentiles. Now, brother, and again, we have seen this over and over again. It is just unimaginary for these Jewish people to bear the truth. And again, brethren, this is where we must watch out for our own religiosity. We, they, they could not bear the truth that Gentiles had been grafted in. 
brethren, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, they couldn't bear that truth that they could be grafted in without first coming to them to be a Jewish proselyte. This is really a huge hang-up, as we know, that to think for a moment that we were the people of God and that we had the covenants, we had all of these things, and there are, what? There's people being brought in that who are not Jews, who are not proselytes, because remember, they didn't hate all Gentiles. There was a Gentile in the court of the temple. They could come in and worship. They could be converted. They could be proselytes. They could not handle the truth that Paul is standing there saying, I was just like you, but it was Christ, the person of Christ, who died and set me free, amen, and he is bringing into one group together the Jews and the Gentiles who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They just cannot and could not absolutely understand that. In fact, this triggers, again, as I said, their bloodthirsty cry. Another one, amen, they've already done it once. This word Gentile absolutely triggered their, it's an amazing thing that happened when they heard that word. It triggered, if you will, their bloodthirsty cry for Paul's death once again. And this clamor that's made here is similar to the one we saw earlier in chapter 21, except they added some words and they added some actions. And I want you to see this. Look there, if you would, at verse number 22. Uh, verse number 22, it says this, as soon as they heard it, as soon as they were sitting quietly, verse 22, and they gave him audience unto this word until they heard him say that. And then look what happens. Then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow. Now they said that earlier in chapter 21. Away with such a fellow from the earth. For it is not fit that he should live. And so we see again this action. They're adding to what they said earlier. They said before, away with this fellow. Get him out of here. Now he's not fit to live. And then look what they do in verse 22. Not only do they add words, they add a Jewish action to those words. Look there, if you would, at verse 23. Look what they do. And they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. Now, <laughs> brethren, we have seen a pattern over and over again. The Jews had incorporated a common practice for when they stoned someone. <laughs> it's a very common practice. They would, if you will, take off their outer garments to make it easier, brethren, so that when they are casting stones at someone to stone them for being blasphemers or whatever it might be, it makes it easier to throw the stones. And number two, unless you're like me, easier to throw the stone and as many stones as possible and hit their target. This is something that they would do. In fact, Paul attested to that. This is what they would do. This is a pattern that they would do. They would take their outer cloaks off, and you know what they would do? They would set them safely by someone to keep them, amen? Look there if you would. Again, we see this pattern. This is what they're doing. There's been much debate over, well, what were they really doing? No, they were really wanting to stone Paul to death. That's what they wanted to do, and they showed it by their action. It's interesting, as you note there, with no rocks available, no stones in sight, what does the Bible say they did? They threw dust into the air. You know what literally that means? They were picked up. There was no rock. So they were literally grabbing dirt and whatever they could get their hands on and tossing it at Paul, indicating that he are, we are going to stone you to death. This is what they did. Look there, if you would, at verse number 20. Again, Paul says it. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of those who were doing the stoning. Again, this is a practice that they did. They would take their raiment off so they could throw the stones and, again, hit their target more precisely. No rocks available, so we're just going to grab some dirt. We're going to grab whatever we can get a hold of. 
we are definitely going to toss. This is no doubt about it, that this was their practice. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to stone Paul, and they just simply took a long shot, if you will, at him. Now look at verse 24. Again, what happened in verse, if you will, earlier in the text in verse number 21 has sparked verse 22, which then leads to verse 23. There's just a progression here in our text. One action begets another action, which begets another action. And we see this here. Look there, if you would, at verse number 24. Look what the Bible says. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. What does that mean? That he might know wherefore they cried so against him. Well, as we remember, there was mass confusion to start with. And Claudius went and he arrested or took Paul into custody, right, and calmed everybody down. Paul's giving his testimony. And again, after he says that word Gentile, there's just this great thing, this great radical bunch that bust, they bust out into just a frenzy. And here he is again. This confusion reigned, and the chief captain was trying to find out what exactly is Paul being charged with? What exactly, what crime has he committed that these men keep bringing this guy and causing all of this confusion, which then puts Claudius in danger because he was there to keep the peace the Roma paroxy. You remember that as we studied that. So Paul was taken into the castle you know, to be flogged in order to discover. Interesting, the Romans believed. See, some of, some of the communists would like, like this procedure. The Romans actually believed that one would tell the truth if they were placed under extreme pain like that. So this is what they would do. You know, the Bible said they're trying to ecstatic. He's trying to find out what the truth is. And so what they would do, they would take one and they would strap them to this log, they would tie their hands together and they would prepare them for a flogging, thinking, of course, that, well, we'll whoop him a couple times and then he'll tell the truth. It always extracts the truth. Well, see, that's what, you know, communists like to do that, right? They'll just, they want to hear what they want to hear. Well, anyway, this, they're trying to extract this truth. The Roman practice of scourging, brethren, uh, would, one would be whipped across the back and the hinder parts. It's an amazing thing with a knotted leather cord fastened to a wooden handle with the cord being studded with pieces of metal or bone. Such a scourging, brother, is it was a most amazing thing. It could cripple one for life or even take their lives. Now, we remember that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, don't we? See, the Romans had no numer on it. They could pistol whip you. They could scourge you until your innards. In fact, we're going to see this. There's quotes by Josephus. He wrote of these things happening. The Romans would just absolutely scourge you until your innards would come out. The Jews, of course, remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, remember that? I was what? I was caned, I was whipped 40 times minus 1, amen? So the Jews had a limit, and it wasn't anything like this, but Paul experienced that with the Jews. The Romans, it was, it was a free-for-all until you said and told them what they considered to be the truth. It's interesting, again, as Josephus writes, he said this. He writes of accounts where the strokes were delivered with such severity that they expose the victim's innards. And again, brother, here it is again. <laughs> again, I know I'm a reformed person. I know I believe in the sovereignty of God. But here we go again. The sovereignty of God coming to Paul's rescue. If it would have been left the way it was, if God would not have did what he did in the past, and this is what's so important, brother, because we're going to look at Paul's past. Because Paul brings it up here. And it isn't just Paul's past. It's his father's past. It's his grandfather's past. It's his ancestors before that past that God uses 
to save his wretched, save himself here from what they are trying to do, his past. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? I always tell people it's interesting. When you consider history, and one can't look forward in history, but one can look back in history. And I want you to consider something as you look back at your own life. Think of this for just a moment. You have parents and grandparents who had grandparents who had parents who had grandparents. And all the way back, you think, and one miss in that, and you wouldn't be here. Think of that for a moment. Just think of the history here. And this is what Paul does. He, he, he if you will, he calls two things into mind. And it's an amazing thing. In fact, with the question that he asks, this again sets another thing, some other things into motion. So we had the Jews calling for his death, wanting to stone him. The chief captain gets a hold of him, brings him into the castle, is getting ready to scourge. And with one question, it stops all of it. All of it gets stopped in a heartbeat. Look there, if you would, again, this action as we see this. Look at verse number 25. Look what one question Paul says. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And what? Uncondemned? Oh, brothers, we have no idea. Well, we do because we see the text. When a centurion or a Roman would hear something like that, there would be a cascading, and this is what happens, brother, with that question. There is a cascading of fear that runs up the military chain. It isn't just this centurion. When the centurion hears that, immediately the alarm bells go off. We've got a Roman that whom we have bound and we're about to scourge. He's a Roman and he's uncondemned at that. Brethren, there was nothing worse. You could not do that. In fact, the emperors would hold people who would scourge a Roman without being condemned. They would then be more than likely killed. Now, Claudius here, again, there's some fear that runs up the chain. It runs up the command, if you will, the military chain. It goes from the centurion standing there. It's an amazing thing. It runs up there with lightning speed. Look at verse number 26. So he hears this. Look at verse number 26. Again, another cause of action here. Look at verse 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. So what does he do? He hears that. I'm a Roman citizen. Are you going to scourge a Roman citizen? The Roman citizens were not scourged in the first place most of the time, unless there was some kind of a crime that really really took place against, the, against the, the city or against the emperor or against someone, of a high Roman official. It's amazing. It just did not happen. And when he heard that, he scurried off to the chief captain. Now look what the chief captain does. He hears it. Look at his action. He races back to Paul. Look there, if you would, at verse number 27. Again, just a, a series of action here that we see. And in all of this, God is sparing Paul's life. Think of this for a moment, and again, thinking about his past, about his history, and God brought all of these things together for this very moment to protect Paul. Look there, as I said, look at verse number 27 of Acts 22. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And again, brethren, with that news, with hearing that news, 
There is, again, can I say it? The word cascade is a good word. Fear went cascading. You know, when you feel fear, you know, there's scriptures in the Bible where there was this darkness and they could feel it and, and their, their hair would stand up on end. This is exactly what happens when, when he hears this. There's a Roman citizen and I'm about ready to flog, to have this guy flogged. Ooh, that is a fearful thing for a Roman commander to hear and not understand. It's a, a crazy thing. In fact, look at here the conversation they have at verse 28. So all of these things are cascading. All of these things are taking place. God is intervening, brethren, in a great and sovereign way. Look there at verse 28. In fact, it gets added to verse 28. After he hears Paul is a Roman citizen, he says, And the chief captain answered, With a great sum I obtained this freedom. What does that mean? So he's speaking back to Paul. Paul, I'm a, I'm a citizen of Rome. With a great sum, he says, I got this freedom. Well, again, historians, and if we had time this morning to go read them, there are many of them who recorded Claudius Lysias and his reign and what was taking place during his reign. He literally bribed his way into, that's the way a lot of them did it. Think of our own government today, bribery and all these things. This is what he's saying. For a great sum, I bribed somebody, amen, to be a Roman citizen. Paul goes, really? You bribed somebody? Well, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you, I bribed nobody. I paid nothing. I paid no sum. I bribed no one. But look what he says, the second part of that. One paid for it. One said, hey, I bribed my way in, which historically is what they would do. Look there at verse 28, the end of it. Look what he says. He says there, And the chief captain answered, With a great sum I obtained I this freedom. But Paul said what? But I was what? I was free born. Another statement that makes this chief captain, Claudius Lydius, just absolutely freeze in his tracks because of what's happened. Paul was born a free citizen, a citizen of Rome. Brethren, think of this for a moment again as we, as we put this thing all together. Paul tells him, in other words, now we don't know for sure which relative it was. It was either at some point in the past, Paul's father, his grandfather, or an ancestor after that, before that, who was indeed legitimately granted citizenship by an emperor, amen, uh, for rendering exceptional and above and beyond, if you will, service to the country. That's the only way that you could get citizenship apart from bribing someone, which is what this guy did. And when he realized that Paul was a natural-born citizen, that somewhere along the way, one of his ancestors in the past was held in high esteem by an emperor who then gave him his citizenship. Even more, brethren, he just panics. Even more. You can just, you can feel it. I, mean, I, I just get excited. You can feel what's taking place here. You can see God working it out. Using his past to save Paul here in the future. This citizenship is very important. In fact, look at verse 29. Look what it says. And straightway. Again, when I talk about speedily, when I'm talking about rushing, when I'm talking about uh, motivation to uh, move quickly... All of it. One hears it. One races to the chief captain. The chief captain races to Paul. Is that true? Yes, now that I was born here. I'm a natural born citizen. 
And the Bible says immediately, straightway, with great speed. Look what happens. Look at what verse 29 says. Then straightway they departed from him, which should, should have examined him. And the chief captain also was what? Afraid. Oh, yes. There's great fear going on here, brother. And we read this stuff. We, we, we don't understand the Roman mindset and how it took place. But it is so practical. We're, we're going to see this. How needful this text is for us even today, especially today. Look there. And the chief captain was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman. And because he had what? Bound him. Now, wait a minute. They already had violated Paul's Roman citizenship by simply binding him. You could not even do that without a Roman first being convicted of some crime. So even now he's thinking, not only am I going to have him flogged, but I've already bound him. And immediately, with great haste and great speed, he says, i got to let him go. i got to unfetter this guy because you know what? When, when the government hears of this, they're coming for me. They're going to do to me what I was going to do to him, unknowing that he was a Roman citizen. It is such an amazing thing. And as I said, great fear cascaded up his spine. It was and is indeed a serious and grievous violation to even bind a Roman citizen without due process, let alone what they were about to do. In fact, look there at verse 33 of chapter 21. He had done it earlier. Unbewitting to him, he'd already violated Paul's rights, and he's doing it again. Look there at verse number 21, or chapter 21. Look at verse 33. Look at what it says there. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. See, again, this goes back, doesn't it, brethren, to what we talked about earlier. Remember that great prophet who said, hey, when you go to Jerusalem, this is going to happen again. God working all things out for his glory and for Paul's good. It even ties to that. Even the binding here of Paul was uh, predicted, if you will, Yes, not if you will, but absolutely that that would happen. And that, of course, is a violation of a Romans. You cannot do that. Brethren, wouldn't it be great? And this is why this is so important for us to see this. Brethren, well, I'm going to get into it a little bit. We have a constitution that was given to us. And it's something, brethren, that is precious. And we are letting it go. We are giving it away. In fact, our our our, our if you will, our practical points as we see this as a most stunning thing. In fact, listen, there's a pattern that Paul does this. We've already seen this. Do you remember that? Sometimes i got to think back in my memory. See, this is now the second time that Paul appealed to his citizenship. Do you know that? The second time. Not once, not twice. In fact, we're going to see it a third time that he does it. This plays such an important role in the sovereign hand of God, watching over Paul as he uses him to spread the gospel, as I said, from sea to shining sea. Think of that for a moment. His citizenship. And there's some real things that God, again, before Paul was in the loins of his father, in the loins of his grandfather, in the loins of his possible grandfather before that, that God was bringing all of these things together. It was unique. Paul was indeed unique, and we're going to see that. Well, look at Acts 16. Again, this is the second time he appeals to his citizenship, where God intervenes, and he saves Paul's life at this point, knowing that from sea to signing sea, the gospel will be preached, irregardless of what the Romans wanted or the government wanted or anything else. And, brethren, that's something we can cling on to 
no matter what our government wants to do, no matter what our government thinks, no matter what, if God has ordained it to pass, it will come to pass, and it will be as he said it will be. Amen? Look at Acts 16. Again, just quickly, verse 37. Look there, if you will. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. There that word is again, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the surgeons told these words unto the magistrates. And they feared when they heard that they were Romans. Again, brethren, you see this pattern. <laughs> Paul is appealing to his Roman citizenship, whom God had ordained to use to spare his life in this circumstances. Now, as I said before, through the providence of God, I want you to consider this for a moment. The rarity of Paul. And all of those things that, if you will, came and were, if you will, confluenced in him. Think about this for a moment. Paul was an educated, devout, practicing Jew. That's a combination in and of itself. Do you guys remember whose feet did he sit at? Remy? Gamaliel. He was trained by the best. The best of the best in Jewish law. And he kept, as he said, that law to the best of his understanding and of the leaders of that day's understanding. But here's, brethren, what's really unique. Not only was he a, a, a brought up, his background, as these things confluence in his background, not only was a practicing Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And brethren, that's unique. That is something that was unordinary, to have those three things all in one man, whom God ordained, again, Paul, appeals to his citizenship and says, I'm a Roman citizen too. Not only was I a Jew, not only was I educated by the greatest, one of the greatest men of our time, but I'm also a Roman citizen. And those three things together, again, thinking in the past, thinking of Paul in the loins of his father, in the loins of his grandfather, in the loins of his ancestry, you couldn't make it up that God would bring in Paul all of these things to save his life as he's using him for his instrument to preach the gospel all across. Well, it's across the globe now, brethren. We've got it. It came here, and it continues to go, all because of what God did in one man, bringing these things. There's no accident. Brethren, there is not, is not an accident. That is sovereign God preserving his preacher down through the ages of time until we get to 2 Timothy when, when he says, Paul, that's it. I'm done with you. You've been a faithful instrument. You are indeed going to be poured out for, what, uh, for my cause, for the cause of Christ. But not now, and not until then, and not until God says you will breathe your last. Brethren, it is so important here that he was so extremely rare. Now look there again if we look at verse number 30, Acts 22. Look at verse number 30. All God's doing here is reloading. <laughs> Reloading the gun, if you will. Reloading uh, what Paul is going to be doing next in, in chapter 23. Look at verse 22, verse number 30. And on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands <laughs> and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. It's interesting, isn't it, here after... Uh, this Claudius whom God used, I said earlier, right? God used Claudius to save him. 
to save Paul. He arrested him. He bound him unlawfully. Think of, think of all the things that took place for God to spare Paul's life in all of this. All of this stuff is ordained by God. Even an unlawful act God used to spare Paul's life. His history, all of these things, brethren, is, to me is just such an amazing thing. Paul now stands before them all. And this is a word I just, you know, we, 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 we sing these songs. Paul stood before them unfettered. <laughs> right? He was ready to be flogged, probably to death. If not, for sure, they would have crippled him. Now he stands there by the hand of God. Think of this, brother. Because of who he is. Because of who God made him. Because of the confluence of who he is and his background. There he stands, unfettered ready for chapter number 23, because chapter 23, all it does, God opens up here another brethren, another opportunity for Paul to make his defense, his apologia before those who are there to kill him. It is quite an amazing thing when you consider that. So let me just ask us this morning as we close, what is the practical lesson that we can learn here from Paul's, if you will, use of his citizenship. And it is indeed, brethren, invaluable to us as Christians. So invaluable to see this, to see what Paul did, to see where God had him. We should indeed use every... Remember that constitution I talked to you about? That thing that, that God gloriously... Now listen... They all acknowledge it was God who gave them freedom and gave these things, amen? But that Constitution, which is not a living, breathing document, which was written to protect us and give us what? Certain inalienable, inalienable what? Rights. And you ask yourself, well, how can that be possibly practical today? I know Brother Keith was in here. I can't tell you the number of times that we've gone out street preaching together. Brother Dean as well, some of Howard, some of us, Harrison. And I call Keith a resident scholar on the law. You know why I call him that? Because every time we go out, how many times, brothers, have we gone preaching and the law, the cops, come up and say, you can't be here. You got to get out of here. Brother Keith just, whoop, hold on a minute. He knows most of it. Sometimes he pulls it out and he reads it to him. No, here's what the law says. I don't have to leave. I have the right to be here, to preach the gospel to these lost people. You can't make me leave. And what guarantees him the right? It's the law to him and us as citizens. Do you see the importance, brother? Do you see how important that is? We have been given by God a constitution that gives me the right, where's my guns on this side, to bear arms. It gives me the right to gather together as an assembly in the church house with the brothers. I have that right. We understand it was given by God, but our constitution says that. That's what Paul did. He appealed to his citizenship. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. Think of California 
Oh, I hate to make you think about California, but think of what they tried to do to the churches in California. We had some faithful pastors, John MacArthur, a few of these other guys, some good IFB guys, good sound pastors. And they were threatened weekly by the long arm of the government. You shut down or we're taking your parking lot. You shut down or we're taking this. We're fining you $100,000 a week. What did they do? They just put that money in a fund. <laughs> these churches just kept putting it in a fund, putting it in a fund. And in the end, we all know what happened. You know why it happened the way it happened? Because California also has a constitution, and we have a constitution in the United States of America. And you know what they all appealed to? You know what MacArthur's lawyers and all these men, you know what they appealed to, brethren? Obviously to God, we get that. But they appealed to the rights as citizens that they had to gather and meet together and gather around the Lord's table together. And you know what? By the time it was all done, you do realize that the government in California paid millions to these pastors in these churches because they violated their civil rights. The right to gather together, the right to assemble together, the right to gather together. Now, brethren, again, this is what Paul did. He appealed to his citizenship and the rights that he had as a citizen. And God indeed did intervene and bring that confluence of who he was together to preach the gospel from sea from sea to shining sea from one end to the other amen and practically that's what we do how many times again how many times have we been preaching and the law those who are supposed to know the law come up and say you can't do that oh yes we can and they walk off, right? How, how many times? What? Highway patrolman last year trying to throw us off the sidewalk. Ben was there trying to throw us off the sidewalk. Old, old you know, a resident scholar, lawyer, pulls out his stuff out of his pocket, reading that share, and the, the guy goes, oh, okay. And we stood there and preached the gospel. That, brother, is a beautiful thing. And that really is what we learn from a practical standpoint. How relevant, amen? how needful, how good it is to see these things in holy writ. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful for the eternal word of God, that which will never change, that which will be there and present, even when this world is burned up and gone everything around us is fading as a leaf ourselves included fading away and there's one constant and that again is the word of God that changeth not that which is eternal Father we thank you for our text this morning we thank you for the importance that it, it gives to all of us that yes, we plead to God the Father, to God the Son, and the power and working of the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, that is always first. But we know that you are working these things out. And we do indeed as citizens, even now of a much pagan, I mean, I'm not sure 
how much more pagan this thing can get. I don't know. I'm sure it'll get worse. I'm sure it'll get worse. We think of our children who are sitting here and maybe some of the younger people who are here living in an America that is unrecognizable. In America now where that which is good is evil, that which is evil is good. We got high-ranking officials who are men turning themselves into some kind of an ugly it in charge of our medicine, for crying out loud. Some goof wearing lipstick and eye makeup and looks like half man, half woman. In America, well, not all of it, but many people are clapping their hands and saying yes, yes to it. Saw the lieutenant governor of Minnesota this week Praising the drugs they're using to make these transformations from that which you designed, men and women, into something most unholy. And she said, we must listen to our children. <laughs> we must listen to them. This is health care for them. What an evil thing to be belched out of that pit of hell from her mouth. And yet we see it, don't we? We see it more and more. Our rights, our, our, our constitutional rights are being trampled upon. And as Christians, we, we stand and we preach righteousness, Lord willing, all of us. And we stand in righteousness. And we are the ones who are considered evil now. And Father, we pray that as your hand moves upon the faithful men and women who are indeed saved, elect true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will take this, what we've seen today, and Lord, may the Spirit of God sink it deep down into our hearts, that we do appeal to God, and yet we appeal to these other avenues that you have clearly ordained, that we may continue to preach the gospel, that these little children of ours may be preserved and saved and drawn out of that sewer the gospel. Father, we thank you now and as we gather now, gather around the Lord's table and then witness <laughs> a baptism. We thank you for what we're about to do and what we're about to see. These two glorious graces that will continue until you come again. Thank you that we can participate together today. And we ask now and pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.